last night basketball, as we talked about, Indiana and Connecticut. Now the Hoosiers getting set for Louisville today. Don Fisher joining us to talk about exactly that. And Don, I guess the good news actually, um, you know, you had talked about it and we've talked about it too. When you have a roster of new faces that are not used to playing with one another, you're going to take some lumps. And that happened yesterday against Connecticut. I guess is it good news or bad news for Indiana that they've got to turn right back around and basically not even look over that game film but get right back into the next one today against Louisville? Well, I don't know if it's a good thing that they didn't look at game film because I'm guaranteeing you that they did. <laughs> well, yeah, they probably uh, went right back and watched it for a while, right? But you, you get what I'm saying, though, right? Like, not dwell on it, I guess is a better way of saying it. Well, exactly. And, and you know, I, I, I will say this about the performance by Indiana yesterday. The defensive end of the floor, I like what I saw from that perspective. And I, I saw it for most of the ball game, uh, down to about the six-minute mark of the second half. But obviously they did they couldn't overcome the foul issues that they had. They lose Malik Renew to fouls and Xavier Johnson out to fouls. And those two guys were critical in this ball game. And X hardly played at all when you consider uh, the first half. He got two quick ones and then got a third one when he came back in right away. So they had to sit him again. Uh yesterday did a great job I think he's really um, upped his game dramatically over a year ago I don't think there's much question about that and at the same time uh, Indiana is still struggling to shoot the three to, to defend against the three their rebounding has been well yesterday it was horrible uh, 44 to 22 in that regard and yet they didn't they didn't move the ball aside from trying to get it into Malik they just didn't move the ball right and, and they couldn't shoot threes themselves so Against a team like the number five ranked Connecticut Huskies, the defending national champs, you're not going to get get it done. Hey, Don, it's Brendan. You, Best basketball. You just led me into my first question of the rebounding numbers, getting out-rebounded by 22, shooting three for 13 from beyond the arc. Is either one of those more concerning than the other in your mind, at least at this stage right now? No, I don't think I don't think one over the other. <laughs> I think it's hugely important in both cases. I, I think the rebounding aspect of it has been an issue in almost every game we've seen at this point. They they just haven't rebounded at a, at the kind of margin you would think a ball club with this size factor uh, has. What do you expect? I guess, but at the same time. Again, we're talking about new faces, guys that haven't been with the program very long, playing a lot of minutes, and without question, it's a ball club right now that's trying to find itself. And Mike Woodson's trying to push all the buttons that he possibly can to get him to do that. They haven't played anywhere close to what we think they're capable of playing to this point. I guess that's the good news. The bad news is they're still not where they need to be uh, this early in the season. Don, I want you to, to tell me if I'm – because the – this is entirely possible, and I mean this seriously. Maybe I'm too big a cynic, but I don't dispute by any stretch of the imagination that McKenzie Ambaco is a massive, talented player. I mean, you don't get the level of recruiting attention that he did and have the resume that he did before arriving without having some skill set. But my outside observation is that he has yet to really grasp the level of intensity or energy that is necessary to play at the division one college basketball level and that that's still a learn in process now is that an accurate observation or am i being jaded by the hype that was around him coming in no i think i it's probably a combination of the two but i don't i honestly think you're right i I don't think that he has at this juncture grasped how difficult to change from high school 
to college is. And that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a really good player in the future or anything like that. It just means that it takes time to understand that sometimes. And when you've been able to do pretty much what you wanted to do as a player all the way through your career at this point, and then you run into this little buzzsaw that's called college basketball and upgrade and, and what you're going to face, sometimes it just takes more time for some guys than it does others. And at this point, I guess that's probably where we he, – he is a talented kid, and he's got great skills. Um, he's, an excellent, he's an excellent shooter. We haven't that yet. I mean, his three-point shooting has been abysmal to this point. But he is capable of knocking down shots. And, and in this offense, sometimes you've got to be able to find your shot. And so far, he hasn't been – it's going to come at some juncture. It's just a matter of how long and how and when it's going to. The following question might, Don, vary from year to year based on roster, okay? But for the most part, you've, you've done this for a long time. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, our guest. When you have a team with new faces that are, that are learning each other like Indiana does right now, you know, back in the day, you would look at Indiana in March, you'd look back at November and December and go, gosh, they were abysmal. You know, whether it would be playing in Hawaii, I think it was, in, or, or Alaska, or, you know, getting dunked on by Syracuse in 89 and putting it together. But realistically, Don, you have to be how many games into it before you have a true, and I know I've asked you that before, but for this group, you feel like they need how many games before we truly then can determine who they are? I think it's going to probably take all the way through the non-conference because they've got some tough games upcoming. Um, and and maybe it won't take that long, but right now I'm going to give them that until we get into Big Ten play on a consistent basis, which, of course, doesn't happen until January, even though they've got two Big Ten ball games coming up here in December, early, or here in just a couple of weeks, actually. Um, because I, I do think it takes time. I do think that this ball club has the talent to get it done. And right now, I think they're just trying to find themselves as a team. And I think the coaching staff is trying to do what they can to get these guys to understand what's at, at hand. And I think this week, at a game that we saw yesterday against UConn, I, I, I was impressed with uh, Indiana's uh, toughness and, and on the defensive end of the floor yesterday in the first half. They, they, didn't, they didn't give uh, anything up in that sense. They battled every time that they were down the floor defensively. And I thought they did a pretty good job. They were down just seven points at halftime. And really, it was a, still a seven to ten point ball game with about six minutes to go. And uh, obviously, Malik Renu was uh, fouled out of the contest. And from that point forward, it was no contest. But uh, I, I still think you've got to give this team plenty of time. If it takes till the end of uh, or till the start of the regular season in, in the uh, Big Ten back in early January, so be it. But obviously you want to see progress and you want to see a difference in this team as they go forth. And that's the one thing you've got to, you've got to hope you, you can hang your hat on as this season progresses. And, of course, today against Louisville, a team that everybody was counting out uh, three games into the season after looking not very good against the Charlotte team that beat them and playing just okay against two other average teams at best. Um, all of a sudden they come up and almost bite Texas in the butt yesterday with with that performance that uh, Louisville had. And now this is going to be another highly charged ball game in that sense for this Indiana basketball team. And I, I think it's good at this point to have to deal with that and find out where you're exactly at. Don, on UConn themselves, 4-0 start after being the national champion. 
Is there a certain characteristic you can point to about that team that they possess that you think Indiana could maybe learn something from if the Hoosiers want to get to the point that the Huskies have been in recent years? Well, I would say this. Uh, what I saw yesterday was pretty impressive uh, from the way they ran their offense. And they did it uh, with Tristan Newton being a major factor. I mean, he was tremendous in that ball game yesterday, as was Cam Spencer. Both guards played just excellent basketball, did all the right things, didn't force things, um, took the shots that were available, made shots when they are important to be made. Uh, we saw two really good guard play, uh, guards play yesterday for that UConn ball club, and I think the rest of their team is fine. I don't think they're superstar status. I think the Klingon kid has, of course, gotten a great reputation coming off of last season in which he backed up the, the other Connecticut center. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he was really good. And this kid came in off the bench, and, and well, he just backed him up and did really solid things. Yesterday, he was just an average post player. Uh, I thought Indiana did a nice job on him yesterday. So uh, what I what I know right now at this point in the season, if you've got really good guards who understand what they're supposed to be doing out there and can get these other guys to do what they're supposed to do, that's when you're going to have a good basketball team. And I think that's why UConn right now is playing the best of anybody that I've seen at this point. And I'm not talking about everybody in the country. I'm just talking about who Indiana's played and some of the games I've watched on TV. Don, I got to know, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, you got like the world's most, I'm assuming, a totally chaotic scheduling week ahead of you because you've got football and basketball, you know, cross-pollinating right now. But when it's the week of Thanksgiving, which is more nostalgically cool and fun, Indiana versus Louisville or doing a game in the garden? Uh, (laughs) Jake, I can't even think about that right now. All I can tell you is it's been so busy. You're just get, you're just prepping for the next thing that you got to do, and I've got another game to do today. I've got talk show to do on Wednesday night, and then of course I'll have a respite for at least a half a day on Thanksgiving <laughs> before we prep for the uh, Purdue ball game. And I've got to do part of that tomorrow as well. So uh, it's it's so busy right now. It's hectic for me. I'm an old man, and everything takes a half hour longer than it used to. <laughs> so I could just I could just tell you that right now I haven't thought about any of those things. People ask me, well, "What are you doing in New York?" I said, "Basically, get sleeping." Ready for the next right? Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're busy when you're in New York City, and you're like, "I just want to go back to the hotel." Do they have room service? You know, <laughs> I, I know I the drill, man. I haven't re- had any room service, but I've gone down to the bar or the bar restaurant down here in the hotel for sure. There you go. All right. Well, Don, we'll be listening. Uh, the Hoosiers back at it in the garden. And then again, bucket game this weekend as well. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well with everything going on. Same to you guys and same to all the fans out there. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. All right. Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Again, Indiana today, 430. So coming up here, uh, just a couple of hours right back at it. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Joining us now on the hotline, and before we even talk about the Colts, we've got to get the total rundown from... His maiden voyage to an SEC road, not I guess early evening game, a late afternoon game between Tennessee and Georgia that started out totally raucous for the Vols, and then all hell broke loose. Uh, Kevin Bowen, did you survive the weekend? 
survive in advance. We did. Um, boy, we thought we were on top of the world after that 75-yard touchdown. And then, yeah, Georgia quickly brought 100,000 back to reality very, very quickly. Uh, I honestly feel, and Jake, you'd be the per- perfect person to throw this out there, do you see any, like, Neyland similarities to IMS at all? Yes, because I think that – well, and I'll begin by asking you this to answer the question, Kevin. Did, did you guys just kind of randomly pick that game, or did you have somebody in your group that was a, a Tennessee fan? No, random. Okay. Uh, we got a buddy that lives, like, in the Atlanta area, so, you know, that kind a of A good meeting sense. point, right? Yeah, I yeah. would say that it's similar to IMS in this regard, and that is that I think people from the outside know the size and the magnitude of it, and so you have an expectation going in. But I think it would be difficult to find somebody who goes for the first time that then doesn't have a desire to again experience it all over again because it is a very electric feel of all of the sensations. Yeah, and, and by sensations, I, I mean senses, not just yeah. a November – a November pee in a trough, which, you know, I, I haven't really done uh, many times, <laughs> if, if any, in my life. But, um, you know, older venue, to your point, I mean, size standpoint, you know, it's sitting right there on campus. It's not like, you know, we're in whatever, some city 20 minutes outside of Knoxville. Uh, so that kind of brought out some IMS feels to it. Um, you know, obviously the pageantry and the SEC tailgate atmosphere and all that kind of speaks for itself. Just experiencing that was pretty cool. And, you know, obviously if you pick a you know Tennessee home game, the fact that you got Peyton Manning and Dolly Parton in the stadium on the same day uh, certainly brought out all the feels for, I think, a lot of Tennessee fans. So, yeah, all of it was, was a great, great time. Certainly wish the game would have been more competitive just to get some – Sort of kind of second half, fourth quarter atmosphere, but I was a big fan of it and hope uh, we can make it kind of an annual SEC, different venue each year sort of thing. How were the fans? They were great. Yeah, they were um, – I think you were the one that honestly said this to me on Friday. They were like – yeah, you were like, you know, tell them, you know, this is your first time ever at an SEC game. And, you know, universally it was like – you know, it wasn't like them looking at us like, how would you get those tickets? It was more just like, oh, this is awesome. You do this and do that. And yeah, go grab a plate. And there. There's plenty of food for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I did think if I was going to nip it a little bit, I thought Friday night we, like, went to their Market Square, Market District. I forget exactly what the exact term is. I thought it was a little bit – I don't know if, like, quiet is the right word, but just, I don't know, lacked a little bit of juice. And I just assumed that, like, this was the marquee home game of the year and you would get a little bit more of a – Friday night feel to it, but it, it was still fun just, you know, experiencing a different college town and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, for uh, for all of about, you know, 90 seconds, uh, the game was uh, was incredible. <laughs> that that opening play, though, had to have been pretty awesome. But, oh, man. Um, no, yeah, nuts. Kevin, what would you assume – Kevin Bowen is our guest. Of course, you hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney on the wake-up call. What would you assume that the – the breakdown is or what most Colts players do on the bye week. I mean, essentially for you covering the Colts, it was a bye weekend, right? You didn't have the game to cover. So you went to Tennessee. You think most guys go back to see their college play. Most guys go back to watch their high school or most guys go to a beach. That's a good one. I would probably venture to guess college high school. Um, I don't know, maybe for some of them, they can pull off a little beach atmosphere with that. I mean, I'm sure there are some that get away. If I'm not mistaken, I think they got a full week. Um, so, obviously, you would have plenty of time if you wanted to do that once you landed. You know, or once they landed back in the States, you know, late Sunday, early Monday of last week. Uh, but, yeah, I would say, for the most part, kind of ex-college, ex, you know, we had the Tennessee game, for example. Alvin Kamara, you know, got honored 
at the end of the first quarter uh, or whenever that was, um, you know, the Saints were on a bye this week. So um, I do think that's kind of a popular thing to do is probably a little bit more of a ex-college or, yeah, yeah, former college, former high school feel to it and experience a bye week that way. What's up, Kevin? It's PK. So we were talking about this earlier. The rest of the season, probably the next really intimidating quarterback you see is going to be on January 7th at C.J. Stroud. And in the next period of time, Baker Mayfield, Will Levis, Jake Browning, Kenny Pickett, the Falcons are going back to Desmond Ritter, and then maybe Aiden O'Connell at home. Who knows what happens on New Year's Eve? That's like dealer's choice at that point. So uh, what's the general feel just knowing that for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, six weeks, you're probably going to see less than stellar QBs? Yeah, it's astonishing when you read off the list, and obviously – you know, the, the Burrow injury was a huge one. I mean, is Baker Mayfield the second-best quarterback you're going to see the rest of the year? Probably. Coming up on Sunday? I mean, you know, you can make a strong possibility of that, um, which, again, I mean, think about how many teams Baker has started for in the last, you know, 18 months. So uh, it is pretty wild how that has transpired. And, I mean, I remember – I mean, hell, I remember Jake and I having this conversation when the, when the schedule came out in May. And, by the way, BK, always great to hear your voice. Um, you too, the schedule came out in May – you know, this was one of the bigger calling cards for me and why I felt like the Colts would, you know, be on the over of whatever that Vegas uh, win-loss total was at the start of the year just because I felt like quarterback-wise it was not daunting at all, uh, especially here in the back half. And, and yeah, I mean, you've had, uh, yeah, I would probably say one big injury to Burrow. I guess Jimmy Garoppolo might qualify as another. Uh, But for the most part, you know, it's all these guys kind of starting their quarterbacks, you know, Tannehill maybe, you know, being benched, but... Uh, that was always, I think, one up in the air. And, and then, you know, who knows you know, what, what C.J. Stroud or what Houston's going to look like from the season finale because, you know, that is light years away. So um, I'll be very, very curious to see just how the Colts handle that. And it's a great opportunity. And honestly, Gardner Minshew might be the better quarterback in several of those matchups, which you know, considering how he's played lately, that's not something that you would say with a whole lot of confidence. Kevin, I can't recall if it was – Last year or two years, you know, my years all kind of run together. But I remember at one point coming off a bye, you and I having the discussion of like the Colts didn't do any. There were a couple of times last year, and maybe we were thinking more for draft pick purposes, but like the Colts didn't do anything and everything improved around them. You know, they got all the help they needed. Certainly two years ago, I think that might have been the case in the Hard Knocks year on a couple weekends. But this weekend on a bye, when the Colts were away from one another, in terms of just the standings around them they come out of the bye week improved hurt a little bit by what everybody else did or status quo i want to say they dropped one spot based off yesterday that won't change tonight with you know kansas city's obviously well above them and leading their division no matter what happens with that game in philly um, but, you know, you, you, you go back to last Thursday. I mean, that was the big, big one. Not only, you know, Cincinnati losing, but then losing Burrow for the rest of the season. Um, so I want to say right now they're ninth in the playoffs. So, you know, seven teams make it. So they're two spots out. And I believe you play six and seven. Uh, that would be Houston and Pittsburgh. So you play each of them at home uh, the rest of the season. And then you also play – uh, in Houston, or um, not Houston, in Oakland, and in Cincinnati, you play a couple teams uh, right behind you as well. So, um, 
you know, you have a lot of this in your control. I, I, the math might not call for this right now, but I think five wins would certainly get you in. I mean, that would be 10 and seven. I think that would be enough. And four wins, you could make a case. Now a lot of this will come down to head-to-heads and those sort of tiebreakers. And you don't have like a head-to-head tiebreaker over Cleveland, for example, and they're right there above you in the wild card. But Eddie and I were actually just talking about this on the podcast that we recorded. The Colts are four and three right now in the AFC. And while that might not scream like a great, great record, it is when you compare them to many other uh, AFC teams. I think, in fact, if you compare them to the other five and five teams right now, the reason why the Colts are above those other five and five teams is because they have the better AFC record. So, um, yeah, I, I would say they got a little little help. The Burrow injury, of course, is big, big help. But more than anything, uh, the fact that they're four and three in the conference um, is, is, is right now is a big strength that they have. Do you still have that like gallon sized jar of and this is horrific the the duke's mayo that mark dykton bought when we did the 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 mayo and the coffee deal do you still have that on the morning show that big jar well i don't want to speak for mark but i believe he brought up this morning because you know next week is colt titans and uh, will levis is the starting quarterback and um i think should be for that game barring injury and i believe mark mentioned that he bought Another jar of mayo, you know, because we want to make sure we didn't get an expired jar like we had. Yeah, it, it was expired? It was like a month from expiring. Oh, it was horrific. My God. Everything about it was disgusting. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Oh, the jar was, you, know, you should have seen, the jar was the size of Shaq. And <laughs> I believe there's a lime flavor. I, I hope I have that right. It's a little bit of a lime tint to it. So I believe, uh, let's just call it, I don't know, next Tuesday, next Wednesday. Uh, we'll we'll be having a nice fresh cup of Black Joe with um, a little bit of a lime tent of mayo, you know, and cue up the plop sound. Uh, that the, will be uh, in, in our in our morning coffee here uh, from seven to ten a.m. And if you would like, which it, clearly you, you're bringing it up, so clearly you uh, you seem like you have interest in it, we'll, we'll happily leave you a cup. Nope, of nope, zero interest, none, <laughs> nada. But I wanted remember, to know about the. Remember how it would curdle to the top and how chunky it got <laughs> Dude, so quickly? Remember? Are you kidding me? Like, uh, like I, I just like a week ago got rid of the taste. But the reason I wanted to know about the jars because we're gonna wash out the jar and you got to put five dollars in it because when referencing the Raiders, you dropped in Oakland like two minutes ago. <laughs> so that goes in the jar. Fair enough. Gosh, I, I feel like I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, yeah. Easy to do, man. Well, Easy. You know what? Well, hey, there. Kevin. Last night, I'm watching $100,000 Pyramid, right? <laughs> and I'm watching $100,000 Pyramid, and the the actress, or what, actually, I think it was the, the normal person, not the celebrity, and I use celebrity loosely, but the clue that they had to give, it was, it was baby animals, so it's like, you know, and one of them was Colt, and she says, uh, the Indianapolis professional football team, and the guy goes, Colts, knew it right away, and I thought, we have finally arrived. It took 40 years, 40 <laughs> years, right? 40 yeah, years, baby, I, and it's now pop culturally relevant. I love it. I feel like the state of Indiana's had some ugly misses on Jeopardy over the years in relation to sports questions. So that no question. is a big step in the, in the right direction. Well, okay. So I asked this the other day to Jimmy. If you stopped, Kevin, you're a Notre Dame football fan and basketball fan. If you stopped 100 people on the Las Vegas Strip that are sports fans, and ask them, in what state is Notre Dame, what percent of people would say a state other than Indiana? 
Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, probably a lot of people. Well, yeah, you got to remember, people are you're asking drunk people. That's all right. right. Well, yeah, or just people in Vegas in general. Uh, yeah, people who probably say Michigan. I mean, hell, someone would be like, well, you know, a bunch of Catholic kids from Chicago, you know, play football there. Um, yeah, it probably would not be above fifty percent. I don't know. Do they mention like South Bend, Indiana, and Rudy very often? I, I maybe I'm giving. I just when he's getting on the bus, movie. that's like the only the one. The thing is, I think the Notre Dame Michigan rivalry. Maybe not so much current day, but like for people like forty and above, I could see them like their immediate knee jerk answer being that it's in the state of Michigan. But I bet you it's thirty to forty percent would say Michigan, and everybody else well, would know Indiana. How about this? More people know what state Clemson is in or what state Purdue is in. Boy, ha! Ah, that's probably I feel like a Clemson to. had that feel, and again, maybe I'm speaking to my age, but like. You know, they obviously have gotten on the national football map majorly to, you know, a Brendan King generation here in the last decade. But I, I and maybe again, I'm speaking to a geographic bias as well with that comment, but I don't know. I feel like some here, people would not just be like, oh, I, I would. Here's the thing that would tip the scales to maybe Clemson in that regard, Kevin, and this is me being very Freudian, but Clemson is the name of the town. So when they right. come to a game, they say, we're live in Clemson, South Carolina, whereas. With Purdue, they just say, we're live in West Lafayette. And people are like, well, where? You know what I mean? So Right now. That's a good point. But you're right. I mean, Clemson, obviously, 10 years ago, probably. Well, Butler's another one. I mean, Butler until the NCAA tournament. Nobody knew where Butler was till Brad Stevens, right? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's so funny when you vi- – honestly, I said this to people in Knoxville over the weekend. They're like, oh, where do you live in Indianapolis? I'm like, oh, I live, like, right near Butler's campus. Uh, you know, did you realize Butler's there? And they're like, wait, what? Butler's yeah, there? You exactly. Know? I believe that. Um, Kevin, what's the, what's the Colts' schedule this week? I mean, it's a weird week because of the holiday. You're coming off the bye. You're getting ready for Tampa. What is their schedule in terms of activities and organization? Yeah, Shane has kept it pretty much status quo to a normal week. So, um, you know, today, you know, a review, I, I would assume it's a popular day for guys to get back in the building after the bye week and just kind of reset some things. Tomorrow, technically, will be their official off day. Wednesday, they will practice. Thursday, they'll actually bump it up to the morning. Um, so they will kind of get a little Thanksgiving schedule from a morning standpoint, uh, give the guys the afternoon off. Uh, Friday, have their normal Friday practice, and then I, I feel like it's become like an annual thing that they play at home on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it is pretty much normal. And then from here on out, outside of that game against Pittsburgh, which that still needs to be finalized, whether it's on Saturday or Sunday in mid-December, uh, it'll be a bunch of 1 o'clock games unless uh, some flex scheduling comes into play. Kevin, in terms of the AFC wild card situation, which is, let's be real, that's essentially what the Colts are tr- hoping to hang around in the party for, um, did we write off Denver too early? Have the Broncos kind of figured some things out? Yeah, we probably did. But honestly, I, I, I think what we write off too early is we still are, I think, just accustomed to just six teams make the playoffs. I mean, now it's seven. And I know it's just one number, but that's a big deal. I mean, when you think about um, you know 16 teams in each conference, so that's nearly half of the teams make the conference. And, you know, Look at the AFC North right now. You know, they have three teams very much with, you know, they are the best division top to bottom. But there's just the natural, like, you beat each other up. You play, you know, the rest of those teams six different times. Naturally, you're obviously playing some, you know, a couple of good teams from another division. And so the ability to kind of get on a roll and not 
you know, has to play teams strictly from other divisions. It just doesn't happen with how the schedule is. So I don't know how much of it is actually like Denver is a quality football team, this and that. I and mean, certainly they are doing some things to win. And Russell Wilson looks better than he did last season. But um, I think it has more to do, honestly, that it, there's just the additional seventh playoff team. And that is a big, big deal with it. Uh, and, and last year, I mean, and, and that'll happen again this year. I mean, you know, you look at the NFC right now, and if Minnesota starts to slip up, I mean, look at some of these teams right now that you would be riding off in the NFC that would make the playoffs or be in the running to make the playoffs there. Uh, and Joel Ayers, so we had Joel on earlier today. He brought up a good point. Like, look at Denver's schedule. That That is a he, – he was acting like it's a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way, whereas you look like a Buffalo team, Buffalo's got a little bit of a harder schedule the rest of the way. Hey, Jake, by the way, they're moving the crane outside. I think they heard you. Really? So, yeah. Kevin, did you think about this? I'm very concerned about this, Kevin, and you know because, you know, you see the same view as I in the morning time looking out on Monument Circle. We are like 96 hours from the Circle of Lights, and the entire north side of the monument is nothing but cranes, loose slabs, and automobiles and portalettes, right? Like, what are they going to do here? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I can't say I've run down there. And is Spark moving to the other side? Of the circle, um, yeah, I'm not sure what. what Have they asked you for some temp work yet? Are you going to bring your hammer down here and make some stairs? Uh, I, I mean, I'm afraid the lights would all come down if that if that were to happen, <laughs> Brenda. They're going to have to honestly, like, what what are they going to do when people are like trying to gather around to see the turning on of the world's largest Christmas tree, and, and it's there's like loose slabs of concrete everywhere. The stairs don't even exist. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my face in downtown infrastructure here and think they're gonna they're gonna figure it out over the next 48 72 hours. I did notice the crane was moving. I mean, I swear. I mean, what's the earliest daylight I see in the morning? What I call it 8 a.m. Um, I swear the crane was moving about 8 a.m. So the sense of urgency is there. Listen, when the, when the crowd <laughs> arrives, the, when the crowd arrives, the first three people are there are gonna be Ken Nunn and Keller and Keller. That's all I know. <laughs> Kevin, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this too. So. Let me take you back last year. I was just hanging out at the state finals at Lucas Oil before Indiana Sports Talk. I was watching the 5A game, I think, and here comes Stefan Gilmore just rolling up next to me on the sideline. I was like, hey, that's cool. So I introduced myself. He's with his son. And then about 20 minutes later, he's still standing there. I'm just thinking in my head, yeah, how is this guy still on the team? Because it was at the point where Jeff Saturday was the coach. He's like, I can't believe they didn't trade this guy. Uh, are we going to get to a position where we're in December and there's you see somebody on the field or practice or whatever, you say, like, I can't believe this guy's still on the team. And that, like, they should have been traded? Yeah. Like, that aspect of Yeah, I, I don't... Boy, you, I, would, I feel like it would have to turn really, really ugly really, really quick. Um, you know what? Reich was fired, uh, like, what, two weeks ago, um, pretty much, if you look at the calendar from last year. It goes, like, November, November 7th, something like that. So... I mean, at that point, you know, Stephon Gilmore was clearly your best player. He had already won the Denver game. You know, he had the big tip. I think it was the Kansas City game that forced uh, the interception there to kind of ice that one. I, I just I don't feel like the season is, A, that off the rails. B, I feel like with Gilmore, he was the win-now move, and then mm. the season went from win-now to, like, you know, obviously, you know, disastrous, embarrassing season very, very quickly. I don't think there's anybody on this team that would qualify as that. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, and again, being a five and five, and we just rattled off what the playoff picture looks like. Uh, I don't think we're there either. Kevin Bowen uh, tomorrow, Rick Carlisle, right? Rick Carlisle, eight a.m. We also have um, 
Andrea Kramer joining us, if I give a small plug for that. She interviewed Jim Ursay a few weeks ago for HBO Real Sports. So looking forward to uh, talking with her about certainly a very interesting individual when it comes to our city and the world of sports. He just bought a new guitar, right? I mean, I know that that's like, you know, kind of <laughs> weekly, but he just bought a big one. No, honestly, didn't he just buy a big one? Who was it? I can't remember whose it was, though. Is this where you insert the sun rises from the east? Joke, <laughs> I yeah, know, I, no, I, like I said, like I said, this isn't, you know, we could probably rehash that same question weekly, but he, he sent out a, a, a thing about the fact that he just bought I'll have to look it up. Another legendary cigar for or cigar guitar for the collection. <laughs> Probably a cigar too, but um, but definitely a fascinating individual, no doubt about that. And then Rick Carlisle, probably just no questions about last night, right? That that is the game that Ooh. shall not be discussed. Is that right? Yeah, that that was embarrassing to say the least. So curious how they respond tomorrow in uh, in Atlanta. All right, Kevin, we uh, appreciate it. We'll be listening tomorrow morning. All right, boys. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, All right, Kevin Bowen again. Uh, and Kevin will be wearing the turkey hat, I presume, on Wednesday. It was one of my favorite parts of doing it. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. So apparently Peter Frampton lives in Cincinnati. I think I knew that. Peter Frampton, uh, his sister, for a long time, was the significant other of Tom Griswold. I'm sorry, Peter Frampton's significant other was Tom Griswold's sister. Um, Relative of Clark? And, well, you know what? Tom Griswold would give out T-shirts every year that had that said Griswold's Christmas on it. <laughs> Um, that's great and the I think I said when I was in Long Island I went to a Whole Foods which was the site of the Long Island arena which was where Frampton comes alive um, show me the way was recorded in 1975 at Long Island arena for Frampton comes alive and my buddy Mike Byron and I had a bet on whether or not anybody would know that we walked in first woman I saw working at the Whole Foods, I go, hey, question for you. Do you know by any chance what happened here like roughly 50 years ago? And she goes, my husband still swears you can hear him whistling. I go, yeah, okay, so you knew. I, I saw the video on your Facebook. You that know? was awesome. Yeah, was I, I am a Frampton guy. I, yeah, I wasn't a Clapton guy, uh, but it, definitely a uh, Frampton guy. Frampton Comes Alive is pretty cool. Right? Oh, it's the, my dad My dad had a Mercedes, drove a Mercedes when I was a kid. It was still a cassette tape a, a car. A Mercedes or a Mercedes? I say Mar, but okay. anyway, it was still a cassette tape and- he would just pop in, Frampton Comes Alive. It's oh, the best. And if you're ever a music DJ and you've got to use a restroom, all you got to do is play uh, Do You Feel Like I Do, and you can actually go to Taco Bell, come back, use a restroom. And still <laughs> Dustin Doprak, I'm sure thrilled with that transition, joins us now on the hotline to talk about last night's game uh, where it looked like the Pacers were in a drive through the entire time. Uh, <laughs> Dustin, to begin, I, I thought their, their wing defense was what did them in. I, they just... Orlando shot the ball with an extremely high efficiency, but seemingly that is entirely because they were a turnstile on the wings. I've never seen it like that. I mean, I know that they've struggled defensively, but but were they just asleep last night from the layoff? Uh, it seems that way. Yeah, I want to say something about Peter Frampton. I also think one of my favorites. Have you have you guys seen the movie High Fidelity? Yes. 
You know, you know when like John Cusack walks in the club, walks back out, asks the bouncer, "Is that Peter effing Frampton?" and then walks back in and says, <laughs> "I always hated this song, but now I kind of like it." That's I, I love that. Also, High Fidelity is just great, but I just needed to say that. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, they were asleep. Uh, they they were just asleep at the wheel. We just got back, uh, got out of practice, and Rick was just like, "You they just they just didn't show up. It just did not show up at all in the first half." Um, and yeah, it wasn't good wing defense. It wasn't good pick and roll defense. They didn't stop the dribble. They didn't stop pick and roll. They didn't stop anything. Uh, I mean, I think it was. Uh, you know, 48 first half points in the paint, and that just means you're getting blown by. You're just not stopping anybody. You're not bringing any kind of, uh, you know, basically presence uh, to what you're doing on defense. And so, I mean, it could have been a lot worse if the Magic didn't pull their starters and, and, and pull everybody. And, and the Pacers might have the best third unit in the league, which I guess is something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it just was I, – I think it, it was just the space off. It was interesting that, that Rick Carlo actually said after Tuesday's game, like, you know, we got to be worried about whether this – you know, uh, we've got to make sure we don't think this is a good time to exhale, and, and they very much did. And there was a lot going on in the four days. They took a lot of that opportunity to do as many kind of um – humanitarian good works leading up to Thanksgiving uh, as they could, which is certainly admirable and everything like that, but it just did not seem like they were uh, just lit up for a basketball game, and that Magic team is a lot better uh, than they were a year ago. I mean, you, you can see some real growth in them, and, and certainly I, mean, I think they're on a similar track to what the Pacers are on, uh, except with, with a different uh, approach. I mean, they're just a, the, Pacers, the Magic are a really tough, physical uh, defensive team, and the Pacers just run up and down the floor offensively and score a whole bunch of points, and just basically on this night uh, the Magic really showed up, and the Pacers really didn't uh and so that game was you know over very quickly after it started one game does not a season make i realize so you know i'm getting a very limited scope of viewing the orlando magic and we're here to talk about the pacers i get that mm-hmm. but one thing that really impressed me about orlando and i'm curious if you noticed the same dustin different periods of that game i saw two guys you know Mo Wagner, Wagner, whichever way you want to say it, the kid from Michigan, mm-hmm. and as well Paolo mm-hmm. Banquero, I, I thought both of them were just outstanding on-floor leaders. They were vocal. Mm-hmm. They got their teammates involved. They were supportive during timeouts. I'm not saying the Pacers don't have that, sure. but it's such a critical mm-hmm. piece of trying to gel together a young team. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Halliburton has that in him, but who else for the Pacers becomes that guy? I mean, I think there are several guys that have that capacity, kind of. I mean, I mean, Halliburton, I th- he certainly does have that in him, and I think, for one thing, it's a different mood. I mean, it's less of a, you know, grab somebody by the throat and make them do what they want to do, but, like, it is a, when the Pacers are rolling, it is a joyous experience. You know, uh, when they're scoring the basketball, when they're getting up and down, uh, everybody's smiling, laughing, having a good time, and, and it, it makes for this overall, uh, you know, cohesive unit. But it's just like when that goes away, it's harder to, to rediscover what's there because they're just not that good defensively. Um, it's, it's harder to kind of like lift it up when the ball's not going in the hole or, or when they're not getting uh, the runouts and whatnot. But I mean, I think there's there certainly are personalities of guys who can step up and talk. I mean, uh, Tyrese can certainly do that. Miles can certainly do that. TJ McConnell can certainly do that. It's certainly. A young group, uh, you know, Bruce Brown obviously is a guy that's uh, like figuring out where uh, his voice fits as a guy that's, you know, coming off of winning a championship in Denver. Um, you know, Aaron Neesmith, I think, is, is he's not a guy that talks very much, but he's, I think, arguably one of the most uh, sort of ferocious competitors uh, in the group. Benedict Matherin as well, even though he really doesn't talk almost at all. Um, but, you know, there, there are 
some personalities who can do that, but it does certainly on like last night, it seemed like it was much more coordinated from Orlando's standpoint. And then again, it, some of it just has to do with style. Um, sometimes you just look grittier and tougher when you're a better defensive team. And when you're the team that scores, you know, that, that wins by scoring, it seems a little bit less gritty that way. Um, but I do think there are, there are guys who have voices on that team that can kind of keep everybody together, but it tends to fall apart when the offense isn't working. Hey, Dustin, it's Brendan. I want to talk about Buddy Heald, one of seven on threes in his last two. He did hit four at Philly on the 12th, but before that, when it combined four of 23 in the previous two to that. So is this simply a slump or is there something more because he doesn't have a 20 point game this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's mostly a slump. I mean, obviously, he's not getting the same kind of minutes he did last year because now he is coming off the bench and the rotations are different. Um, and I mean, I think he's getting a little bit more than uh, other guys are getting. I think they're trying to make a, make a point to make sure he does get some time, uh, you know, with Tyrese Halliburton because that has been a really good fit. It, it you know creates gravity for Halliburton to work. Um, so he has had some games where he's really been on and had some games where he has not been. Um, and so I guess that's probably to be expected uh, considering the role. There was going to be an adjustment. There was going to be, um, you know, some newness of, you know, he's used to getting on the floor. He's, you know, first he's got his sort of routine in terms of getting the ball in his hand. Like he'll literally take it away from the ref and make a point to play with it before he gets, you know, puts it back in play before the before play starts. Um, you know, I'm sure it's been messing with his routine. It's a, it's a little bit different. Um, he has at least embraced the idea of being a bench guy. He hasn't done anything to blow the thing up. Um, but he, he has some stretches where he hasn't been, um, you know, knocking him down. And I think it, it does take a minute to get yourself in the flow of the game when you're coming off the bench, when you're used to being a starter uh, and being there for pull, some play one. And so he's generally, when he's hit his first one, he's hit a couple after that. And other times when it's taken a whole while to get one, uh, he's had some slumps. So I think, I mean, I think with, with Buddy, it just is as simple as the ball going in the hole and not. I mean, I don't think the shot looks any different, um, but I think there is some issue in terms of just getting a rhythm when you're getting used to being a bench guy. Speaking of that, exactly that. So early that Dustin, I, I I'm almost embarrassed to bring up this subject because it sounds so naive because it's so early in his career. You know, I look back on Jeff Foster. Jeff Foster, you know, basically was a redshirt player when he was drafted by the Pacers. You know, same with Austin Crozier, right? Those guys didn't even play. But it's a different era to an extent, and I know he's very young. But Jarris Walker, when he's been in there, to me, looks like the game is moving way too fast for him, and he is thinking way too much, and, and it's in his head a little bit. Am I being too critical? Uh, no, no, you're not. I mean, we just um, – we like – because he got on the floor, you know, we, we had some time to, we asked about him last night and, uh, you know, asked Rick about him last night, talked to him a little bit today. Um, and, I, and I think that's right. I mean, like, again, he is 19 and it's one of those things you just kind of got to be reminded of. And the thing is, too, that what, like, the long-term prognosis for the player that he's going to be like it he's not like Matherin was and that Matherin was sort of like okay just go do this thing and you're really really good at it and so we'll figure the rest out later you know like he had kind of this like immediate skill that could get him on the floor and just because he could just drive the ball at you uh and finish at the rim or draw fouls and he was going to put points on the board that way and he's productive enough doing that that all the other areas where you know he's not quite there yet or not quite figuring it out you can live with um because especially as an off-the-bench guy, as a guy who could just get cooking and score points and become the focal point of your second-unit offense, you know, like, that works just fine, even though he didn't know what he was doing on the defensive end. You know, Walker as a player, if he becomes – if he fulfills the vision – 
of what he's supposed to be. Uh, he's going to be this very well-rounded player. He's going to be a guy who, uh, even as a 6'7", 240-pound guy, can create off the dribble, pass really well, um, that is going to be able to defend multiple positions, run around, be really good in rotation and all that kind of stuff. There's going to be a lot for him to take in and, and for him to become the whole of what he's supposed to be. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts there. There's a lot of learning that's going to go into becoming that player. So, I mean, I guess there's a different curve uh, for him than there would be a, a guy like Matherin. But, I mean, I, I do think, yeah, I see a lot of the same things that you see. There's, there is something about this thing that seems too fast. But, I mean, he is he's a really like he's a really intellectual kid when you really talk to him. He's a really smart guy, and we've got to talk through some things with him about what he's been working on and working through and just sort of getting used to the different actions that you're seeing from NBA teams, the caliber of player that you're dealing with. And he's got to, you know, guard – you know, the best offense in the NBA in practice. Um, so he, he is looking a little bit lost. Uh, and so there, there is kind of an issue there, but I don't, when I talk to him, I don't see a guy that's going to be hopelessly lost for eternity because he just doesn't have the capacity to figure out this is a super smart kid, you know, and this is a guy who's just, I mean, he, he's moving really quickly and you kind of forget how fast it goes for somebody, um, you know, who's it just plays one year in college and all of a sudden he's in the NBA. Um, so I mean, it's, there is an adjustment. I mean, there are certainly other guys in the league who he's behind, but I think the biggest piece is that like, if he can become the player that he's capable of being, there's a lot of parts in there. Um, um, and it takes a lot. It, it takes some time to get all of that out rather than having one guy who's just really, really good at something that immediately translates. I know it was garbage minutes. And Dustin Dopierak, mm-hmm. by the way, is our guest talking about the Pacers. He covers them, of course, for the Indianapolis Star. I, I know it was garbage minutes, and it was just a matter of probably making the score look respectable. But Jordan Wara was very offensively efficient. It didn't take him a lot of mm-hmm. shots to rack up. I think he had 19 last night. Does he work his way into the rotation, or is he too much of a one-trick pony? That's a tough question. I mean, he hasn't yet, and so, like, that's why he – basically, they trust him to score, and the the other guys at his spots, they don't – I guess they trust more to do other things. I mean, I, I mean, I guess the guy who's really taking his minutes right now uh, is Aaron Neesmith, who they love, who they think does everything right, and um, it, and and that's there's there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, Aaron, Aaron Neesmith works his butt off. He's one of the best defenders on the team. He's a super physical guy, and he is somebody that just absolutely signs up for every single dirty work job uh, that you'll give him. And that's the kind of player he's always been, and that's why they extended him. And there's they they really 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 like that guy. Um, and you know, it's sort of like. Like okay, do you throw him in there? Um, you know, so you're you're maybe have a lineup with with Heald, Neesmith, and Nora uh, all together. I mean, I think you could. Um, and I think that's a, a potentially functional lineup if, if you you know just use one of the point guards, whether it's Nemhard and McConnell with the rest of that group, and and, and Jalen Smith at the five. I think that's a functional unit. I mean, I don't know. You know, from the beginning, Carlisle said you know you, you don't have to have a ten man rotation, uh, and so it's been mostly nine. And if it, basically if he feels the need to play McConnell some nights, he does. Uh, and if not, he doesn't. And it's just Nemhard, Neesmith, Heald, and Smith that are coming off the bench. Um, so I think it's possible. Like I, I don't want to rule out the, the possibility because I mean, Carlisle will tell you he's really impressed with uh, Nora as a scorer. I mean, he just really believes in, her, in his ability to put the ball in the bucket. He's not necessarily a great defender. He's not doing a whole lot on the rebounding end. He can create a little bit for others, um, and you know, be a guy that can even you know, even as a guy who's probably a power forward position wise, he can handle the ball in a pick and roll scenario. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, and he had a really good summer, uh, by all accounts. Basically, he's done everything they've asked him to do. They just 
they kind of feel like they have too many guys uh, to get him in there. But, I mean, Carlisle will tell you he really likes him as a player and, and, and truly believes him as a scorer. And that's the thing. As a scorer, he's the real thing. I mean, he averaged 13 a game uh, after they picked him up last year, and that was the, the first time he ever he really had consistent, uh, you know, big minutes. And basically any time in Milwaukee where, you know, like they were resting guys, I mean, he put up crazy numbers, I mean, especially toward the end of seasons when they'd already clinched playoff spots. I mean, he's averaging like 25, 30 a game uh, in the last three or four, basically when everybody else is on the bench. I mean, the guy can really put the ball in the bucket, and that's legitimate. It's just whether they feel like he does enough other things to get get on the floor and, and take somebody else they really trust off of it. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Dustin, an in-season tournament game coming up tomorrow night in Atlanta at 7.30. Now, for me, I'm still trying to process what exactly is going on in the in-season tournament. So still in group play. So can you discuss kind of the importance of this one and where we are at this stage of group play? Yeah, this this is a huge one. Uh, all of a sudden, I mean, the, the the Pacers win over Philly on Tuesday was really huge. I mean, it, it, that they beat the two uh, best teams in their group uh, in Cleveland and Philadelphia as far as how they finished last season. So, I mean, if they beat the Hawks uh, on um, on Tuesday, they win the group. They would clinch it because the last team they still have to play is Detroit, who's I think lost already lost two or three games, and so they're they're out of contention. So they would have the uh, uh, you know the head to head advantage on everybody. They would be. You know, they, they could be held up against even if they lost to Detroit. Um, even if they were three and one with somebody else, they would have you know the head-to-head win there. So if they beat Atlanta, they pretty much have it, and they still have a chance to win it. Even if they don't beat Atlanta, if, if the Hawks lose to somebody else, because the Hawks have only played I think um, two games so far. Uh, I think they're they're one and one, but they're still they're still kind of in it. They can they can sort of muck it up and create a scenario where there might be three you know three and one teams even up having all beat each other. Um, but they have uh, yeah it's it's an, it's an important game, and I, I think the Pacers are really taking it seriously. They certainly see that you know a, a lot of these guys have never been in a playoff game. A lot of these guys have never been in postseason. You know, this is their first opportunity where to win some kind of NBA trophy. Uh, so they're taking it seriously, and I think it would be relevant to them to say, hey, you know, we we won the group. Uh, you know, like even even if that's as far as they go, even if they go to the quarters and get beat in the knockout round, I think they'd be happy to say, hey, you know, we won something here, and you know, we've shown. Uh, we can, you know, basically we we can compete at that level, I and mean, I think the paces are do think that they're showing that kind of progress towards being, uh, you know, a playoff caliber team, a top eight, uh, you know, team in the league, and this would be a kind of step in that direction if they could say they were the ones that that won their group in the in season tournament and and you know got got this season started that way. Pacers in Atlanta tomorrow night, then back at it taking on the Raptors Wednesday at the Fieldhouse. Dustin, appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Dustin Dope, director of the Indianapolis Star.